Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Well, this is my annual stewardship sermon. You can look around and see those who chose to avoid it today. I preach on stewardship once a year, although this has been a generosity initiative season for our um, Central to Love campaign. All of life is about stewardship, and it's replete throughout the, the Bible. Basically, that God owns everything, and he gives us a few things just to see how much we love him and trust him. And I don't preach on stewardship this morning to be mean or to make you feel guilty, but for the same reason that God gave us these instructions is because he knew that being generous was the pathway to happiness, that sharing what you have brings joy, hoarding it brings misery. And God created you to have abundant life. And everything that he tells us to do is in our best interests. So either we believe him or we don't. Either we trust him or we don't. Either we obey him or we don't. Matthew 6, 19 through 24, the passage is, um, the sermon's entitled, Where is Your Treasure? Because let's face it, we all have treasure. We are among the wealthiest people on the face of the earth of all time. Probably the wealthiest 1% right here in this sanctuary in the United States. You've probably never gone hungry, never been without a roof over your head, never not had clothing. And so that makes you wealthy according to world standards. Matthew 6, 19 through 24, how do we dispense with the wealth that God has entrusted to us? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is not sound, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He just said you can't do it. Not that it's difficult. He said it's impossible. Let's bow. Father, help us reorient our priorities here today and indicate our measure of trust in you, our love for you, by allowing you to be God over not just 10% of us, but 100%, all that we are, all that we have, we acknowledge this day belongs to you. And you have shared it with us to test us how worthy stewardship we will provide. Motivate us, Lord, to put this to the test and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Modifying what someone said earlier, the problem with tithing is not that it has been tried and found wanting. 
The problem is it's never been tried. I've never had anyone who's a tither tell me that it didn't work for them, that they regretted it. So I would, in the coming minutes, just ask you to think about the possibility of what it might mean for you to test God in this and see if it doesn't bear out as his word says. A little girl experienced a major breakthrough in her life when she learned how to tie her own shoes. Instead of excitement, though, she was overcome with emotion and began crying. And her father asked her, honey, why are you so upset? Why are you crying? She said, because I've learned to tie my own shoes. And he said, well, I know you've learned how, but it isn't that hard to do, is it? And she said, no, it's not hard, but now that I know how, I'm going to have to do it the rest of my life. (laughs) Don't some of us feel that way when it comes to stewardship? We know it can be a good thing. It can be exciting to give to the Lord, but then comes that sense of dread when we realize it's something that we're going to have to do year after year after year. Maybe I just ought to skip a stewardship sermon this year. Things are tough all around. We've been doing the generosity initiative, um, even though I don't preach on stewardship that often. It's an important part of our Christian life. I can't skip it. Stewardship is not just about an annual pledging the budget campaign. It's not just about central to love. It's about a lifestyle of trust to which God has called us. And he calls us, he asks us to do things, not to be mean, not to be vindictive, but because he loves us and he knows what kind of lifestyle it will take for us to be happy. And he knows that generous people are happier than stingy people. He knows that giving people are happier than people who hoard. And he would have us experience the joy and happiness that comes as a byproduct of generosity. And so it's mentioned over and over and over again in the Bible. Someone went to the trouble of counting those statistics and found out that whereas the Bible has 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith, how many verses would you say it has on money and possessions? Hazard a guess. 200. 2,000. Did you hear my sermon at 8.30? It's 2,000. 500 verses on prayer, 500 verses on faith, 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Of his 38 parables, over half of them deal with how we relate to our possessions. And in the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses deals with money. Why? Why does Jesus talk about it all the time? Because he knew how you related to your possessions was an accurate indicator, a litmus test for your faith in God, your trust in God, and how you put your belief in God into practice. So what really do you own? Verses 19 through 21, Jesus talks about our instinctive desire to invest. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your heart follows your treasure. You would think that your treasure follows your heart. But actually, Jesus says it's the other way around. What you love, if you want to change what you love, you begin investing in that. 
You invest in your children. You love them more. You invest in your work. You love it. You invest in whatever you're in family, your friends. You invest in them and your heart will follow. And he says it's also true with his kingdom. If you want to love him more, begin investing. And I'm not talking just about money. I'm talking about your time, your energy, your talents. Invest in the kingdom and you will find your love for it growing more and more and more. Jesus knows that we're going to invest in something. And he would have us do it wisely. If you invest in the things of the earth, what are you going to hold on to? Really, what, what, how long will it last? He says, invest in things that are eternal, where moths and rust do not uh, steal or, or take away or corrupt rust, but, but invest in heaven where moth and rust do not corrupt and thieves cannot break in and steal. Amassing treasure on earth is just foolhardy. It is wasteful. Sure, you need enough to live on, but then what do you do with the extra? Was it Rockefeller who said, how much do you want? Just $1 more? Where does that stop? One more, $1 more, $1 more. What's it for? Susan and Catherine and I went to New York City several years ago, and there was a, an exhibit by this company called Discovery. And I saw a flyer that said they had the Dead Sea Scrolls. And I've never seen the Dead Sea Scrolls in person. I've seen pictures of them in textbooks, photographs. But to go in and see those, those precious documents, some of the oldest documents we have of the Bible in its original language, uh, just <laughs> brought the hair on the back, back of my neck to stand up. But also in that exhibit, they had... Um, some moles, some cast forms from people who died in, the, uh, in Pompeii in the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Of course, there were no bones, there were no skeletons or anything because when that molten lava hit those people, it just disintegrated them. But what they did have was the cast of that lava that once, that, that once surrounded that person. And so there were moles of people in prone positions, people running, people lying down curled up of dogs and, and other animals trying to flee the molten lava. One thing that struck me, though, was there was a mold of a woman who was clutching some jewels, clutching her jewels. And I wondered as I stood before that exhibit, how much time did she spend gathering her valuables before running? How much, how much time did those valuables she was running with slow her down? And could she have survived if she hadn't gone to all that trouble to, to save something that won't last, that she willingly gave her life for? And as I, I thought about that, I, I wondered, how, my, how many of us are like that? We hang on to things that we think are valuable and end up losing our lives in the process. Jesus says, laying up treasures here on earth are not wise investments. They will slip through your fingers. And so Jesus would tell us to redirect our investments heavenward because the things we invest in in heaven last forever. The things we invest in here on earth are good for what? 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You, you have your needs met and then you want something and you get it. And how long does that satisfy you? a week or two, and then you're wanting something else and something else and, and something else. Heavenly investments are the only sure thing because nothing can diminish its worth. 
A wealthy man died one day and went to heaven, and St. Peter met him at the gate and was escorting him to the mansion that he would enjoy for, the, for eternity. And as the man was being escorted to his mansion in heaven, he passed several fine homes that were the dwelling places of several lower and middle income people he had known here on earth. And so he was feeling pretty good seeing what lower and middle income people were enjoying in heaven. He was surprised when he got to his mansion and found out it was little more than a shack. And when he expressed his dismay to St. Peter, St. Peter said, I am so sorry, this will be your dwelling place for eternity, but we were limited in building your mansion by the materials you sent on before you. We were limited in the building materials you sent on ahead. And that's what it is. Not that the more we give, the wealthier we'll be in heaven. But I think where your treasure is, there will your heart be. And if you love God and his kingdom, then heaven will mean more to you than those who don't. Where do you own it? Jesus doesn't let up here. Verses 24, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be uh, devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is not just money here. Mammon represents treasure. It is what you desire to accumulate. It is those things you pursue in this life. And Jesus says, you can't pursue God and pursue the treasures of this world. It's either one or the other. Now you and I have been taught to diversify our investments. We don't want to put all of our eggs in one basket when it comes to investing. There's a little here, a little there, a little in that pot, a little in this pot, a little for me, maybe a little for God. But Jesus says you just can't have it both ways because either you will love one and hate the other be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he has these strange, ver strange verses in 22 and 23 talking about his eye. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is not sound, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What is he doing talking about your eye and light and darkness in the middle of this uh, setting talking about your finance, your treasures? Well, to interpret a, a verse, look at the context. The context is obviously dealing with your possessions. And so that's what the eye is talking about here. The Greek word for the eye is sound is literally single. If your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. What does that mean? He's not talking about a cyclops. He's talking about a focus, a single-eyed, single-heart focus on one thing. But if your eye is dark, your whole body will be full of darkness. The, the, the word for dark, is, it means to be stingy. If your eye is light, you're generous. If your eye is dark, you're stingy. And I know that's the appropriate translation because over in Matthew 20, verse 15, Jesus is talking about the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Do you remember that parable? where people go into the vineyard at eight in the morning and then at nine and then noon and then three and then five. And then the vineyard owner makes it a point to pay those who started at five the same amount as those who worked through the heat of the day. 
And at the end of that parable, he says to those who were complaining, who got paid the same, even though they worked all day, he said, do you begrudge me because your eye is stingy, because your eye is dark? It's the same word that's used here. And so that's what having a dark eye means, or an evil eye. I used to think an evil eye is something your mom gave you when you cut up in church. But an evil eye in the Bible is stingy. A generous eye, an eye full of light, is generous. So if you try to focus on two things at the same time, your body will be full of darkness because everything will be cloudy. But if you focus a single eye on God, your body will be full of light. It's like getting macular degeneration of the heart. If your eye is trying to focus on too many things, your body, like Silas Marner, like Ebenezer Scrooge, you fold in upon yourselves and you hang on to what you have and your, your life becomes smaller and darker and meaner. But if you learn generosity, your hands are opened, your eyes are opened, and you can focus on God and your body is full of light and there is the joy that comes from generosity that Jesus wants us to enjoy. He says in verse 24, you can't serve two masters. And the word for serve here is literally it's doulos. It means to be a slave for. You can't slave for God and you can't slave for your possessions. And I know folks who are so deep in debt that their possessions literally own them. And they are literally slaves to their possessions. Jesus is saying, be a slave to God and trust him. And everything else will fall in its proper place. You can't work for God and moonlight for success or possessions. It's either one or the other. Not that it's difficult, not that it's hard. It says it's impossible. You just can't serve both. So literally, who owns what? There's a big difference between earning a living, which you and I need to be about, and just working for ongoing personal gain. If you have a barn full, you don't need to build another barn and fill it up and another barn and fill it up because our net worth is not the primary indicator of our self-worth. I heard someone say one time, that man's worth $5 million. I'm thinking, I'm, that's a shame because I'm worth a lot more than that because I'm worth the death of my Savior Jesus Christ on the cross to save me from my sins. That's a lot more than a few million dollars. Our net worth is not the primary indicator of our self-worth. Our self-worth is determined by God through Jesus Christ who said that each one of you is worth his son's death. That's how much God loves you. That's how much you're worth to him. And any monetary figure pales in comparison to what God has done for you in Jesus. It's okay to be wealthy, to be talented, to be energetic, and I, and I am thankful that our church has wealth and has energy and has talented people. The challenge comes in directing those resources appropriately, not spending, not focusing inwardly on ourselves, but focusing and spending and managing the money that God has given us so that we can reach others for him. And that's what this ministry plan for 2017 is all about. And that's what this Central to Love Generosity Initiative is all about, is focusing outward 
reaching people for him. We are wealthy in comparison. You might be thinking, you know, I'm not that wealthy. I don't have it. Yes, you are. As I mentioned at the beginning, if you have food and clothing and shelter, you are in the top 1% of this world's population. You can also be poor and still be materialistic. Ron Blue wrote a column in James Dobson's monthly periodical I get, and he said something that surprised me. He was, Ron Blue was visiting a small African village, rural village in Africa. And he asked uh, one of the leaders, I think it might have been the pastor of that village who had a church there, what's the biggest problem that you face in this small rural African village? He thought it might be poverty or, or hunger or disease, but he was surprised when the pastor told him the biggest problem they had, are you ready, was materialism. Materialism. He said if a man has a mud hut, he wants a brick hut. If he has a thatched roof, he wants a tin roof. If he has one acre, he wants two acres. Because whatever you have, if materialism is your focus, whatever you have is never enough. You always are wanting more because materialism is not a consequence of what you have. It is a disease of your heart. It has nothing to do with how much you have. So the Bible talks about in the Old Testament, 10%, the tithe. Jesus turns that upside down in the New Testament. How much of what you have belongs to God in the New Testament? 100%. Everything belongs to God. And stewardship in the Bible in the New Testament is just basically a measure of your faith and trust in God. It's not about Paying dues. I mean, if I could pay my dues, that'd make me happy because I'd know exactly what's expected in black and white and I could pay it like I was writing a check and paying a bill and mark it off the list. It's not that easy. It's about how much of me belongs to God. How much am I going to trust him with what I have? So I can't tell you what you should contribute to the ministry plan this year. I can't tell you what you should do with Central to Love. I do know that 80% of our church present that day voted to do Central to Love, but I don't think everybody who voted to do it has turned a commitment card in yet. I can tell you with that ministry plan and with Central to Love, you have the perfect opportunity to trust God to do more than you've ever done before. And then at the end of the year, if you come to me and say, Brother Wayne, I, I trusted God and I gave this and now I can't pay my bills, I'll help you. <laughs> but if you're having trouble paying your bills and you aren't trusting God, then I can't because your heart's not right and you're being disobedient to him. When Napoleon faced his Waterloo, the Duke of Wellington was the captain of the opposing army. And a recent biographer said he had a huge advantage over every other biographer that had written a story about the Duke of Wellington. A lot of biographies written about the Duke of Wellington, but this recent one said he had an advantage. What was that advantage? He said he came across the Duke of Wellington's old account ledger. And he could tell by that ledger what the Duke of Wellington had invested in 
so much more important than what you say you believe in, the rumors, the legends, the stories about you. If you get a hold of somebody's account ledger, you can see pretty well what they deemed important. And I got to wondering about that a hundred years from now, if someone comes across my checkbook, what would it say to them about what I deemed important? I preach this not to be mean, but because I love you as your pastor. And I want you to be happy. And I know that where your treasure is, what? There will your heart be also. Trust God. Give it a try. And see if it doesn't work for you. Let's bow together. God, I'm just learning this, this whole thing about stewardship. And I'm astounded that the more we give, it seems like the more we have. And I, I can't figure out the math in that. But I know that faith is involved. And somehow when we, when we pay our tithe and when we contribute to Central to Love, there's always enough at the end of the month to pay the bills. And I just stand back in awe and gratitude. Help all of us to trust you. To show you how much we love you. How much we believe in you. How much faith we have. By the stewardship of the things you have given to us for a season. Not just our finances but our time, our talents, our energy. Everything, 100% belongs to you. Help us be found faithful when we stand before you. In Jesus' name, amen.